Man, that's incredible. I think that's the third baptism we've celebrated in four weeks. There's more, I think, coming. That's a blessing. And so what I, I wanna just take a few minutes and we're gonna pray for Jack. And I wanna remind you as the church, every time you get to see a baptism, you should be reminded that we are dead in our old self and we are alive new in Christ and we have been brought into community. It's why we get to call one another brothers and sisters in Christ. It's because we, our salvation, our identity is no longer in ourselves, but it is in Jesus. And we are adopted into this beautiful family. That family gets called the church. And so we have a responsibility to one another. We get to pray for one another. We get to encourage one another. We get to admonish one another. But we get to walk through this season together. So I just want to encourage you, don't listen to me pray. But if you would, just pray with me as the church that God will continue to work in Jack's life. Heavenly Father, you, you are good. You are so good. Father, thank you for redeeming Jack. Thank you for doing it while he was young. Thank you for a home that points their children to Jesus. Father, I pray that you would just in an amazing way continue to grow him, transform him more and more into the image of your son Jesus, and I rest in the promise of your word to know that you will. Lord, I pray that you would use him. I pray that you would use him now and for years to come to spread your gospel. Father, I pray that you would always keep him connected to the church, that he would be reminded that there are brothers and sisters who walk alongside of him in this journey, who God has just specially appointed and gifted to walk alongside of him. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Isaiah chapter one, uh, we're gonna pick up real quick back in verse 16. If you remember, we were in Isaiah last week. We covered a lot of scripture. If you did not get a chance to gather with us last week or listen online, I would encourage you, go back, read through those scriptures, listen to that sermon this week. It's going to have a lot of the context for what we're gonna talk about uh, this evening. But back in verse 16, if you remember, Isaiah calls Israel to repentance. And he says in verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's calls. If we're gonna have a biblical conversation about injustice, and injustices like racism, we, we first have to realize these are conversations about identity. They're conversations about who we are. And that's why last week, and I think throughout the book of Isaiah, a book that deals with oppression and injustice throughout, it begins with just a heavy, uh, just punched to the gut that we are shattered and stained, that we are just dust, just broken, just shattered. And I think it's good to remember that we are great sinners. And I think it's good to remember that we are fully dependent on the gracious work 
of Christ for righteousness in our life. And so last week we spent a lot of time unpacking that and we chased this big idea that God is making new what we shattered and stained. And we just walked through it. And this evening's gonna be a little different. We're gonna have an elder conversation in just a few minutes and I'm gonna uh, get Pastor Mike and Pastor Paul to join me on stage. But to just set that up, I wanna ask and kinda answer just a few questions and kind of go back into Isaiah and just let Isaiah lead us into a broader conversation about some of the things we even get to see in our world today. The first question, why do we experience injustice and oppression? If we're supposed to seek justice and correct oppression, it's, it's a really reasonable question to just ask, why? Why do we experience it at all? And we experience injustice because we are unjust. It's that simple. We experience injustice because we are unjust. We experience we cause. Notice the we. We're on both sides of it at all times. At all times, we are contributing to the injustice because we are unjust. And we are also at all times part of a world that is broken, broken, suffering the consequences of injustice. And so our individualism, individualism wants us to break out these scales, right? And on one side, we wanna measure how much injustice we think we create, and we wanna put on the other side how much we suffer and, and try to kind of weigh that out. That's, that's not a biblical look at this at all. And the thing I would just kind of pause and try to ask you to step back, and even as you read Isaiah, Isaiah is speaking to a whole group of people. He's speaking to Israel. He's speaking to his people, plural. It's important to realize we share in all of it, all of it. And when you begin to realize that, when you realize you're connected to all of the injustice because you are completely shattered, when you realize the experiences that you suffer in injustice, you yourselves are even part of those, it kind of begs this question of, well, can God not do something about that? And that's the question that Isaiah answers in Isaiah chapter 59. So if you have your Bibles, flip over Isaiah chapter 59. We're gonna begin to chase this in verse one. And the thought is this, like look around. There is injustice and oppression everywhere. And these are God's people. And the thought is, well, if we're God's people, why are we suffering like we suffer? Why are we oppressed and why do we face such injustice? Is, are, is it too big of a problem for him? Is it some outside problem, some outside threat he can't do anything about? Verse one, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. 
For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. Catch that. Injustice is not something, some outside threat that God cannot protect us from. It's not outside of his reach. The problem is injustice is part of who we are. It, it doesn't come from out there, it, it comes from within, and therefore to remove injustice would be to remove ourselves. Do you see the problem with that? The injustice is not some outside threat that threatens us, it is us. And so, verse four, no one enters suit justly. No one goes to the law honestly. They rely on empty pleas, they speak lies, they conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. No one is just. No one even pursues justice honestly. See, there is no exception. Oh, we try to find exceptions, but there is no exception because the root is connected to all the fruit. You say, what on earth does that mean? We like to think of ourselves and all the fruit that we do not directly touch. Here's what I mean. I have never, I do not, I would not. And in those moments, we fill in those blanks with outcomes, fruits of sin. And we do not realize that our very sin nature is the root to all sinful fruit. That we are contributors. That we are connected to all of it. That no one is just. That we are all shattered and in pieces. Verse seven, their feet run to evil. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. Verse eight, the way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their plans. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Again, there is no exception. We do not know the way to peace. Oh, we may cry out for it, we may want it, but we have no idea how to get there. And our plans, even when we convince ourselves that our plans are just and right, they're not. They're broken, why? Because we're broken. Verse nine, therefore justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. See, we hope for light and behold darkness, for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears and we moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. 
See, we hope for something we cannot understand or find within ourselves. We want it, we hope for it, but we cannot find it within ourselves. See, within ourselves, there is no justice. There is no peace. There is no salvation in and of ourselves. It's not within us. It's far from us. Verse 12, for our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and the uprightness cannot enter. Truth is dismissed, it's twisted, it's rejected. Listen, again, be careful, make sure you understand who I'm talking to. Yes, it's true of all the people out there, but it's true of us as well. We dismiss truth, we twist it, we turn it, we even reject it. And the problem is justice is absolutely connected to truth. It's absolutely connected to truth. See, justice is not found in our broken, shattered, deceived hearts. We will not find justice in our broken feelings, our broken interpretations, or our experiences. But oh, how we try. How we try. And we dismiss truth, and yet we look for justice. We bring our broken definitions into our culture. And we hold up things like justice and righteousness and kindness and love, and we twist them and insert them into our culture and our understanding. They become our worldview, the lens at which we see. And we don't even notice. And therefore, justice, I mean real, true justice is rejected Isaiah says, it's turned back, it's rejected, because it does not fit our culture. And when we say culture, I don't even mean big culture, I mean your subculture. However you kind of find identity away from the Lord, your family, your group of friends, whatever that is to you. And if you hear this and you begin to think somehow and you're just missing it, that I'm talking about the people out there, you're missing the most important context to our conversation about seeking justice and correcting oppression. We are all guilty. And the Christ follower must look within and acknowledge they are a great sinner, they are guilty. It's our culture, it's rooted in us, and so it produces fruit. Verse 15, truth is lacking, Isaiah says. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. If by the grace of God we repent, die to self, and in faith find life in Christ, 
We are hunted down. If we turn from the evil that is around us, we're prey. We're hunted down by the very brokenness, the very injustice that once defined us. And so again, why do we experience injustice and oppression? We experience it because we are unjust. Because we are. Because we are the problem. See, we're self-deceived and so we dismiss truth. Our definitions of justice are even unjust. The definitions that we work up, anything that is outside of the word of God, it's broken, even if we can't see how it's broken. And so the problem isn't somewhere out there, the problem is within. And there is no solution left to ourselves. There is no solution within. See, we're self-righteous and we dismiss the contribution of our sin. See, in our pride, we dismiss our sin nature. And we like to focus on those sinful fruits that we, we didn't directly fulfill and create. And so we're not as bad as that. I I didn't do that. I would never do that. And in pride, we also dismiss and minimize the sinful fruit we produce. It's not that bad. It doesn't create these big problems. Listen, it's all connected. On a larger scale, you have to sit back and realize all of that brokenness, all of the shatteredness of our sin is all connected. Sin is not just the bad thing that you do, the fruit. Sin is who we are. It's in our nature, Paul says. It is the root. And it is connected and we are joined with all of mankind at the root in ways that we cannot untangle. We are contributors to every fruit of sin. We are self-focused. We dismiss the suffering of others. There is a tendency to see through the lens of our belongings and our subcultures. And so we minimize We minimize the injustice suffered by others and we fixate on the injustice that is suffered by ourselves and our groups. Why? Because we are broken and sinful. And so racism, for example, is a sin that is rooted in our broken identity. It is an oppressive injustice that roots in our worldview and it grows, and it produces fruit from simple prejudice to genocide, but it's all racism. It's all connected at the root of a broken identity, and we all have part in these things. There's no separation from that. Racism will continue to reveal itself in various fruits in all of our lives as long as the root remains. As long as we remain, because we are the broken root, we are the problem, we are not the solution. So the next question, how do we seek justice and correct oppression? We pursue the solution. Justice and peace are fruits of repentance. 
Luke chapter 24. We mentioned this verse last week. I'm gonna pick up in verse 44. This is gonna tie back to the prophets like Isaiah. Jesus said to them, verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The things written about me in Isaiah. Now catch this, this is really important. Isaiah is pointing to a solution that is Jesus. Jesus is the solution to all the injustice, to all the oppression. Verse 45, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he pointed, he pointed the listeners back to himself. And in verse 46, said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, make sure you catch what just happened. Jesus said Isaiah's solution for oppression or injustice is Jesus. And now Jesus sends out his disciples, you and I, to proclaim the same solution to the world. Not only is Jesus the hope for Israel, but he is also the hope for the nations. It is the same solution. Not only is it true in Isaiah's day, but it is also true in our day. There is one solution. Jesus is the only solution to injustice and oppression. He is the only solution. God's revelation points to Jesus. The Bible proclaims Jesus as the only solution. Have you heard me yet? Jesus is the only solution. God's redemption for the nations is in Jesus, for the world. He's not just the solution for one subculture, for one gender, for one race, for one family, for one tribe, for one church. Listen, Jesus is the solution and the savior of the world. And so God's commission sends us to proclaim repentance in Jesus. So as Jesus followers in faith and repentance, we proclaim the gospel as the solution for brokenness, for injustice, and for oppression. And it is inconsistent, deceptive, listen, even hateful for a Christian to speak to injustice and not share the gospel. See, listen, if you want to fight racism, if you want to end racism, share the gospel. Jesus is the only solution. See, listen, if, if you haven't shared the gospel with someone in the past few months, listen, you are the privileged holding back the solution. Even worse, you are the false prophet pointing to peace where there will be no peace. There is only one solution, and that is Jesus. Second way we have to answer that question is we realize we pursue the suffering 
Justice and peace are expressions of love. Luke also points back to prophets like Isaiah in Luke chapter 10. He uses a really famous story here to kind of get at that. We're gonna begin reading in verse 23. Then turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, did you catch that? Notice his motive, to find justice within. Not outside, not looking to Jesus, not looking to the Messiah, but within. Said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This man has just faced injustice. He is suffering. Verse 31, now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, Jesus understood the prejudice of his day. He speaks to that. There would have been a perception that the priests and the Levites would have been good. They would have been holy. They would have been religious. And there would have been a perception that the Samaritan would have been a compromiser and a traitor. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Love is our gospel response. Dead to self, life in Christ, we live out an expression of the love that has been shown to us. And our love in Christ is merciful. See, we tend to minimize the injustice that is felt by others and to fixate on the injustice that is faced by ourselves. We attempt to justify ourselves by manipulating the context. This is the temptation of our sin nature. You say, what do I mean? I mean, the Samaritan in the illustration does not rationalize away the account. He doesn't, listen, he doesn't go, hey, this guy, He's half dead. If I keep going down the street, I better find a guy who's three-fourths of the way dead. 
I better be nice to that guy. We'll leave this guy alone. I mean, after all, he's half alive, right? He doesn't say, I hear in Egypt, there's this road where people die all the time. I mean, this guy's got it pretty good. He's still alive. This guy doesn't have it that bad. We're tempted to think that way. And it's not Christ-like compassion and love to dismiss any form of injustice. Listen, church, hear me. It is not a Christ-like argument to dismiss racism because abortion exists. It's just not. It's not. Listen, there's no doubt abortion is a greater injustice in our country. But racism is an injustice in our country. And you don't walk past one because another one in your mind is bigger. You're not trying to measure and compare all of those things. And from what lens would you have the authority to be able to do all of that? And by the way, if you think that's hard, realize you yourself expect something different. If you show up in Pastor Mike's office and you seek counseling and you say, my marriage is hard, it's really a struggle, and you're weeping, and he looks back at you and says, well, is she beating you? And you say, well, well, well no. And he goes, well, you got it good then. Get out of here, you'll be all right. See, you long for empathy, for compassion, for somebody in mercy to give attention to the injustice you face. We have no measurement to walk past the guy in need who is beside of us, who is calling out in his moment of need. Why? Because our love is self-sacrificing. The Samaritan's actions were not self-serving. He took all the risk. He took debt. He took ridicule. It was an inconvenience of his time. Why did he do this? Simple. Because our love is unto the Lord. It is unto the Lord. See, that is the context of this story. Back to verse 25. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' story of love and mercy and compassion points back not to the man who's on the side of the road. We know very little about him because it doesn't matter because the mercy and compassion shown to him is really an understanding of who he is as a created image bearer under the one true God who has redeemed us. See, our love for our neighbor is directly connected with our love to our God. We live in love because we were shown love, because we were shown mercy, and we didn't deserve it, because we suffered injustice, and he stopped, and he spread his arms on a cross, and he gave his life that we might find a justice that we could never find within ourselves. How do we respond to injustice? We point to kingdom solutions while we live out daily expressions of the gospel in our life. So we're gonna talk about that for a little bit. So I'm gonna ask the guys to come on up and we're gonna have just a time of an elder conversation, a little bit of a panel. We do this periodically at our church and are just able to kind of chase some different issues. And so our guys, man, this thing's heavy, by the way. I'm gonna have to work out. I've been eating donuts all weekend. That's true, that's a bad thing. But we're gonna talk a little bit and just kind of be able to kind of practically walk through this, all right? So, guys, man, Mike's been on vacation. It's good to have you back, bro. 
Good to be back, Daniel. Glad I'm back for such a light topic that we're going to discuss yeah, tonight. Yeah, you yeah, you're good. You're, you'll be ready. All right. So I'll help you with in. that podium next time. I'm Dude, sorry. I, you, I, you need to. You've been working out. I don't, I've eaten donuts. You're lifting weights. <laughs> I catch my breath. All right, good. All right. We're going to walk through the same three sections that we talked about in our sermon. All right, so let, let's start with the first one. And I'll just give you a question. You guys can go back and forth. All right, first question. How are we tempted to dismiss injustice like racism in our own life? So how are we just tempted to kind of look past it, not see the suffering of others, especially connected to our brokenness and just our shattered and stained sin nature? Yeah. You think? Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of ways. I think it's easy. Maybe it's indifference. Um, it might be looking at it as it's too big a problem. You know, the problem's too big, or I don't understand it, or it's not the main issue. At the end of the day, and I think this is what you're you were talking about. Um, I think selfishness is is the root, and self-centeredness that we we just tend to be because of our our sin and our brokenness, like we've been talking about, very self-absorbed, um, and and think just about kind of what hits us and applies to us and applies to our feelings on certain certain things. So, um, it's just thinking about you know in the Old Testament, you have the prophets where. You know, God basically uh, speaks to them and says, you're healing the wounds of our people lightly. You know, you said it. You're, you're saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. You're so focused on your own gain and what's going on in your own lives, you can't see the suffering around you. Or in the New Testament with the religious leaders, you know, they're holding the people to all these religious laws and ignoring the person that is lame or the person who's blind and they're unwilling to help. And so we see our own selfishness, our own injustice. It desensitizes us from the needs of others. So I think that's a huge part. Yeah, so I think we could say a lot about this. So the question is what tempts us to just kind of dismiss racism, right? Yeah. That's what we're wrestling with. Um, I think one reason is because we lower the bar. Yeah. And we lower the bar. And, and I'm telling you, this is one of these, I'm so glad to be a part of a church that's wrestling with this and talking about it. I just want to say that. So thanks for leading us through this. So we lower the bar. That means when we talk about injustice, injustice is the application of righteousness. Or justice is the application of righteousness. Whose righteousness? God's righteousness. And the point is, the standard that I am to treat other people and see other people as a follower of Christ, is to be no less than God's righteous standard. You know what we do? We lower the bar. So I say, here's what I say. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not a part of the problem, back to what you said earlier, which was so good, because I'm not a white supremacist, you know, waving my Confederate flag, marching in all the parades, so I'm okay. I'm not part of that. When the standard that I am pursuing is do I see or have an attitude or pursue anyone le with, with a lesser view than God's view of them? That's what, that's what our elder Larry Durham wrote in his elder letter this week. I hope you read it. It was so helpful. He said, we, we need to be honest and call any view that I have of another brother, regardless of their skin color, when I see or have an attitude toward them or treat them or see them in any lesser of a view than God's righteous standard, then I'm falling woefully short and call it racism, whatever fruit you want to use. There's so many of them. 
So we lower the bar and we excuse ourselves and we acquit ourselves. We just do that. And another one, and well, there's so many. I mean, we could talk about this forever. One of the reasons this is so important to me is because it's a gospel issue. It's a glory of God issue. You know, I, I grew up here just like most of you guys in East Tennessee. I, I did not realize the depth of my own depravity even in this area until I moved out of this area and went to Memphis for three years and went to school. And man, it took about two days in a different culture outside of my predominantly white culture, if I can be real honest, to realize I had a spirit of suspicion. I had a spirit of superiority. And what was that? That was me. I was the issue. And I had to be real honest with that. It was sin. It was just sin. I had lowered the bar to what I saw around me rather than God's righteous standard. Listen, Jesus' followers ought to grieve about this more than anybody because we see it as a diminishing of the glory of God. Man, it ought to break our hearts if we really understand the issues that we're talking about. So that's a couple things. I think we lower the bar, and I think we, we define racism by the extremes, and we say, oh, well, I'm not that. I'm not that. You referenced it. No, I'm a part of the issue because of my own depression. Chase that real quick, but let me kind of pitch the question back. Let me give you an example. So in pastoral ministry, you'll get this, right? So early on in ministry, we're visible. We're in front of people, right? And so periodically, someone will come sit in your office, and they have real issue with you. You have done something that upsets them. Now, you may have never even talked to this person before, right? Never had a conversation with them, but they're upset with you because you've done all these things, but most of these things are worked up in their mind because they've not really talked about it, There's, it's just happening there. And they're coming at you, and initially in those first five, 10 years of ministry, I was quick to be like, I didn't do that, I don't know what you're talking about. What I've really learned the longer I'm in ministry is I am guilty, like I'm just guilty. I'm sinful, I'm broken, and so it's not just disarming that person, it really is a transparent of I don't have it all together, I do wrong people. And so what's a healthy way to have that conversation? So you're in the conversation. It's easy to dismiss what I'm not in our mind. But how do we, just practically, is there any way you speak to that and say, man, I do struggle with that? How do you, how do you just practically dialogue and have a conversation in which you can acknowledge some of those weaknesses? Yeah. I think if you do it with anything less than vulnerability and honesty, you're fooling yourself and the person you're talking to. That's right. So be honest and Whatever striving we're making practically as Jesus followers toward members of another race or people that are different than us, just know it's gonna be broken and it's gonna be messy and you're gonna mess it up and yeah. be honest. If you're on the receiving end, accept it as a, a legitimate effort to try to cross some of these barriers and thus pursue this thing together. There ought to be healthy pursuits but we ought to be able to be honest enough to say, man, I'm broken in it, I'm not perfect in it, but I'm pursuing. I had a conversation this past week with a brother of color and said, man, I think I messed up the way I came at you and asked you this question, I presented, you just forgive me? I, I, I'm trying to learn. Right. Honesty, I think, goes a long, long way. And I think alongside of that, repentance is, and so you know, repent where we need to repent. I, I think listen to what people are saying and kind of what, what you're saying and is there anything that they're saying that is true? Yeah. Maybe even exactly what they're saying is not specifically true, but there is an element of truth they may not even realize that's there. And if, if there is, we, we repent and acknowledge. I think another huge one that we see in scripture is lament. 
Like in, in the Psalms, we have them, a lot of our Psalms are Psalms of lament. Like we grieve over the brokenness. So instead of trying to defend ourselves or defend our position or defend why we're not what we think, let's just be broken over the brokenness within us and the brokenness around us. Let's feel deeply the weight of the sin and the brokenness in our world. We'll come back to the lament and the fill piece in a second. Let's go to the second question, the second section, and talk about there being one solution. Yeah. So any of our conversations about racism, as believers, we know the only solution is in Christ. So kind of a two-part question here. One, how do we work the gospel into our conversations about racism? And two, how should we expect our conversations as Christians to be different than the conversations of the world that are also looking at injustice and trying to, from a worldly standpoint, correct and fix. What's, what does that look like for us? Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I've been wrestling with that for weeks, trying to th pray through that, think through that. So, you know, we talked about when we walked through Romans, the proclamation of the gospel and then the implications of the gospel. So the message of the gospel not only exposes racism for what it is, but it also provides the cure and how you deal with it. So think about this. Here, here's three words that have helped me. The first is the, is the depravity issue. So on a personal note and the way we see it in culture. In other words, if I understand my own depravity and my own brokenness, that's gonna shatter any view of superiority I have of another person. And think about it, if I understand how broken I am before God, and the only reason I merit anything is by undeserved grace, then any sense of superiority that I have towards someone because of their skin color or whatever it is, is just destroyed by the gospel. So that, that understanding le levels the playing field, right? So that's, that's one note. The other word is the identity issue that you mentioned before. So as followers of Christ, we have an allegiance to King Jesus that supersedes all of our lesser identities. Listen, whether you know it or not, I'm a white guy. <laughs> You're a white guy. You're a white guy. I'm an American. All those are true about me. My greatest identity is not that I'm a white guy from the United States of America. It's that I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, set apart, adopted into his family, made by all the things that are true of me in Christ. And when I stand next to a brother of color and the exact same things are true of him, we share an identity together that is greater than all of these lesser identities. That's a huge implication to the issues of racism and all the other injustices in our world. What do we hold as our greatest allegiance? If we hold our greatest allegiance some lesser affinity, then it's only going to divide. Yeah. And that's especially true in the church. Man, the church ought to be multiracial, multicultural, multigenerational, but yet we stand alongside each other because of our allegiance to King Jesus, supersedes all those other things. And by the way, the, the church is the only place in the world that can model that, is, is, is at the foot of the cross. So I think those are some implications of the gospel into this issue. Yeah, and I think Galatians 3, 26 through 27, I won't read it, but you can go back and read those verses. That's what the apostle Paul's saying there, that because we are one in Christ, that all these dividing walls have been knocked down gender and race and yeah. social status and all those things, we're, we're one in Christ. 
Um, and, I, and I think the other, only other thing I'd add just with the gospel is if, if Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the dead, that, that's the good news of the gospel, the people that Jesus ministered to weren't just his own race. Yeah. You know, I, he went to the Gentiles. He went to the Samaritan woman. You know, I love how John 4 puts it, that he had to go through Samaria. Like, geographically, Jesus didn't have to go there, but he chose to go there to a woman of a different race, different gender, someone that, yeah. all these kind of reasons why he shouldn't be with this woman, but he pursues her, and through her, yeah. the gospel goes into her community, and all these people believe, not just because of her testimony, yeah. but through her testimony. And so, and we see that all throughout scripture and the nations and at the end, every, all the nations, tribe and tongue coming, not to celebrate diversity, but all under one name, one king, one, you know, for one purpose, to glorify God. So I think that's another massive issue because Jesus not only calls us to, but he models that for us. Yeah, and I think it's important in that moment really quick is the flack that Jesus got for it. Yeah. Even from his disciples who did not understand why would you go to the extreme to cross a barrier to these lesser people? Why would you do that? I mean, even from his own disciples, yeah. they, they couldn't understand why he did that. So I think if we're pursuing this inconsistently, we'll mess it up, but it's driven by grace, it's motivated by God's glory, we're going to get flack even from those who don't fully understand. But if we see it as a glory issue, yeah. the glory of God is worth it uh, in this pursuit of ours. So it's a good example. And I, th I think the pursuit of the suffering is an important thing to chase. And we'll, we'll, we'll let that kind of take us into this third section. So Paul says, be patient with them all, right? And it's called a love. We see this good Samaritan he goes out of his way. He doesn't know anything about this person. Mm -hmm. He just acts. He doesn't know why he got there or how he got there, and he pursues them. So you see a connection, again, back to the context of that passage, to what it means to know God, to be one of his children. Talk practically about how do we pursue that level of love and that expression of the gospel in something like racism within our specific context. Because I think that's a challenge. I think if we're honest, we, we, it's easy for us to say, well, I would stand up against genocide. But just the everyday kind of prejudice that's there, that's a different tone. And we kind of dismiss that. How do we act in that same pursuit of those who would suffer that type of racism? What's that look like for us? Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways, and I'm sure you have some, I mean, I think the, the lament is one and joining in the brokenness of people and, and in our world. Um, I think about 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, you know, which is directed to the church and that we are called to bear with one another. And so even this, that picture of coming up under the weight that someone else is having and carrying the load with them. And again, to your point, it's not we have to understand everything about why they have this load and should they have this load or not have this load, but it's loving and then coming up and I'm gonna stay with you in it. Uh, we're called to be patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, love is gentle. It doesn't boast. I mean, we can go through all those things, but it, it prioritizes the other over ourselves. Um, and I think a big one is, and we talk about it all the time, it's abiding. You know, that the more time I spend in the word and in prayer for the lost and I'm broken for the things that breaks God's heart, it should shift me from the inside out. 
So a lot of times it, it, it happens within before it comes out. And the last one I'll just mention because it's important to me, it's an important part of our churches, but in the way we equip our family, equip our kids, um, and then they're seeing all this and growing up in it and to help teach them a better way about what does it mean to be made in God's image, yeah. Imago Day. What does the gospel really mean? What does it really call us to? And reshaping the way that maybe some of us were even taught or exposed to the ways we look at race to look at it from a gospel lens. So those are a few. Yeah, I just add to that really quick. I mean, you used the example of Jesus and John with the good, the good Samaritan, the Samaritan woman. Yeah. So he, he crossed a barrier. He intentionally took the time to cross a barrier and receive flight for it for the sake of the gospel. So I think we have to ask ourselves, when have I crossed barriers of discomfort when have I tried to move towards someone who's different than me that makes me uncomfortable? Not to your point earlier, not just because diversity is the byword and the hashtag, because it's a gospel issue. It's a glory of God issue. So for us, our motives in it are different. They've got to be different. So, so I think we ask that question, how do we cross those barriers? How do we move toward how do we counteract a conversation that's going on at the, at the water cooler at work? I mean, I mean, how do we step into conversations that we hear and say, wait a minute, you understand that is completely unjust, is, is wrong what you are saying. It's wrong what you're saying about your identity. It's wrong what you're saying about that person. That's just not the way God intended it. And then are we willing, to your point earlier, it is, I forgot what word you used, Daniel. It was really strong, but how dare we talk about injustice in this world and never share the gospel? That is madness if we really think that we're going to advance the cause of justice without sharing the gospel of Jesus boldly. Yes, in the context of love, in all of those things that we, we've talked about here so much. But for us to pursue justice and think it's ever achieved perfectly until Jesus gets here, we know it's not. Apart from a transformed heart by the power of the gospel is utterly foolish on our part. So those conversations must lead to the sharing of the gospel of Christ if we're truly advancing justice like we say we are. I'm gonna give each of you just kind of a final thought, uh, kind of a final word to chase, just as lead pastors. I'll share one, I'll kick it to Paul, and then Mike, you, and the team, you guys come on up, and we'll close and go into a time of response. Here's the thing I would just challenge you to think through. Don't try to fix it. Point to Jesus. Yeah. And listen with compassion and mercy and love. So let me give you an example. I've used this one before. I'm raising a daughter. She'll grow up in a culture that will sexualize her. That, that's going to happen. It already happens. It's all around us. I don't expect you to fix it. I don't think you can. I want you to point to a solution with me. And I want you to have the awareness as my brother or my sister, what I'm trying to do as a parent and what I'm living in. That's the difference. Point to the solution and again, with mercy and compassion, walk alongside of one another in love. That'd be the way I try to get you guys to frame that and have those types of conversations. Final thought? Yeah, I, just, I think the gospel the Bible tells us, the, the gospel calls us to lay down our rights, lay down our um, individualism for the sake of the cross and God's kingdom. 
And so we let all of our ambitions die for the sake of making Jesus known and Jesus famous. So lay aside whatever our personal motivations or vendettas are and God, how do we make you known? How do we show the world the true gospel love of Christ? That's what we pursue. Yeah. Uh, I hope that we would approach injustice in whatever fruit it manifests itself. And we groan deeply, like Romans says, and we see it as something to stir in us. Come, Lord Jesus, and make it right. So Romans 8 says, we groan within ourselves living in this fallen world, longing for the sons of God to be revealed, meaning let this stir in our heart action, repentance. We ought to hear the headlines differently and understand there is a day coming when King Jesus is going to make it all right. We have a calling before that day, but man, we ought to groan deeply. I'm telling you, we ought to grieve over the injustices of the world much deeper than what you're seeing on Fox News and CNN as the people of God, if we really understand it. And that grieving and that groaning call us to make Jesus known, call us to be on our faces in personal repentance, and call us, Lord, what action am I taking, knowing I'm not gonna fix it completely until you come and make it all right. Come, Lord Jesus. So I think that's the way I would wrap it up. Um. You good? Yeah. You want me to take it? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So I think here's the way I'd like to close, and our team's going to lead us in a response song. And I uh, just had 2 Corinthians 5 on my mind. And I think what we'd like to do is let me just read this over us as a prayer. If you can just kind of enter into a posture of prayer and response, and Lord, what is my repentance today? What is my step of action tomorrow? What does that look like? But if you just bow your head in a moment of really responsive worship to him, uh, the Apostle Paul here, I'm just going to read this over you, and then we're going to go into a, a song of response as a church. Paul says this. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ, his love for me and my love for him is what is motivating us ultimately. It is nothing less than the righteous, perfect love of Christ that's compelling and driving us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live may no longer live for themselves, but for the sake of him who died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and has given to us, us, his people. We are the reconciled ones. Reconciled to who? God. And we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Not merely racial reconciliation, but calling those to be reconciled first to God. It's impossible to be reconciled to your brother when you're living in rebellion to God. We have the message and the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ in God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has entrusted to us this ministry of reconciliation. 
Father, I pray for us as a church that we will grieve deeply over the injustices that we see. Lord, I pray that grief will be because we, we want your glory to be on display. And God, I pray that we will repent deeply and we will put off the attitudes of our old man and we will put on and pursue the attitudes of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that by your spirit, we will not pursue justice or fight this fight, Lord, apart from the proclamation of the message of the gospel that is the only way anyone can be reconciled to you, much less to one another, is through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, send us out with a deep burden of brokenness. And Lord, send us out as ministers of reconciliation for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name.